0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Rob, if we haven't met yet. And I have a confession. I'm Rob, and I hate waiting. Uh, I hate waiting. You, if, you've, uh, if you've met me for coffee, you've probably experienced this, because you're probably the one waiting, because I hate waiting. So um, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm going to theor- I'm trying to take the steps. I'm admitting my problem. But I think as a society, we hate waiting. Uh, we can't even let thanksgiving be thanksgiving anymore now we can't let black friday be black friday we have to have pre-black friday sales right why don't they just call them what they are thanksgiving sales you're ruining my thanksgiving thank you i'm sorry i could go off about that but you know think about it even though we have pre-black friday sales it still hasn't made black friday any less chaotic In fact, uh, there was still stuff on the news about how um, people jumped over others and pushed others and shoved others all for a piece of paper so that they could, you know, save some money on a TV or something. Like, we hate waiting. Or is it deeper than that? Is it that we really hate waiting? Or are we telling ourselves something? Are we believing something about ourselves and about God that says way more than just we hate waiting? I think it does. And this is especially true when we're waiting for God to answer our prayers. If you've experienced this, then um, you know that you ask yourselves all kinds of questions when you're waiting. You're asking all kinds of questions about yourself. I think you're asking all kinds of questions about God. I do the same thing. If, if you don't have a faith, if you don't pray in this way, then um, as I talk about faith, as I talk about prayer— Think about something that's been out of reach. Think about something that you know, you've had to grasp for and you haven't gotten it. And see how many things correlate with not having a faith. But that's the questions that, of where we're at and really trying to get to the bottom of what do we do when we're waiting for God? And what should we do? So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke 18. If you need a Bible or you want to read along and you don't want to use your phone, then just raise your hand and magically someone will bring you a Bible. It's pretty cool. Um, We're also going to look at two images. Not that the stories in Luke 18 aren't sufficient, Uh, I just think this is rather fascinating that the very same um, ways in which we approach God in this also happen to correlate with the newest Batman series of movies. So the Nolan Ryan series that started with Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, do you know that they've made $2 billion worldwide? Which tells me either people really love the special effects or, I I like this one better, they deeply resonate with the theology, with the ideas, and with the philosophy that that is moving forward in these movies. So Batman and the Bat-Signal and Luke 18. I know, isn't this going to be fun? (laughs) God help us, really, truly. God guide us. So in Luke 18, he starts his little story here, his events, um, with a parable to his disciples. It says that Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and not give up. Sometimes even religious people tell us that, right? When we tell them about a prayer that we might be praying that God doesn't seem to be answering. They just say, oh, you should just pray more, not give up. Thanks. I was hoping for more. Well, Jesus gives us more. He said, you know, in a certain town, there was a judge that neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Adversaries like an enemy, like an accuser, someone who holds this power because really anyone could hold power over a widow, they didn't hold any power. And so she keeps coming to him over and over and over. And he's kind of like, he appears to be someone from Gotham City, corrupt. And uh, it says he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care what people think. And it says, for some time, he refused. That's code in the Bible, by the way. For I prayed, but God didn't answer. For, you know, I pleaded, but God didn't help me. For some time, he refused. You know, when we pray and things don't seem to be answered, I think we have a couple natural responses. I think the first one we do is sometimes we just settle for what's convenient. Um, in Batman terms, it would be Bruce Wayne settling for uh, socializing and partying. Kind of living off his parents' inheritance because it was easier than dealing with the pain of the separation from his parents who died. Um, for us, when we don't get what we want, sometimes we settle for what's convenient. It might be settling for the, the job that might be close, job that might be pay more money. For some of us, it could be settling on a friend that is okay. Uh, a, a partner or a spouse that is convenient. But maybe not the right decision, or the right person, or the right place. And why I think this is not the way we want to go is because, because I don't think convenience satisfies. If you've ever played the if-only game, or I wonder game, then you've told yourself this doesn't work. Um, Because we start to wonder, if I made this decision instead of that one, where would I be? If I would have married this person and not that one, what would life be like? If I took that job instead of this job, if I had this thing instead of that thing. And, and, and we go to this place of, I wonder about the past, but then it really thrusts us forward into the future, and we start to fantasize about that thing that we don't have, or that person that we're not with, or that job that we don't have. But remember, we've been in this series about encountering God. And we are finite. Okay, We can only live in today. God's infinite. He can live every. Out of all space. So what that means is that we can't find God in our past. We can't experience him there, and we can't experience him in our future. We can experience him in our present, and when we're doing this settling for convenient, we're going back, and we're going forward, but we're not experiencing the now. We're not living in the moment, in the present, and that's the one place we can experience God. So that's why I would say that that's not the best approach. Some of us don't settle in that way. We just settle by repeating our prayers over and over and over. The widow comes to, or comes to this evil judge day after day after day. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, does she do that because that's her only option? Maybe. Remember, his parable isn't, is trying to tell a point, really a point about God, and we'll get there in a second, but... Sometimes we just make the same request over and over, and I think we're settling because we're not really thinking about that prayer. We're not telling God how we really feel about him not answering this prayer. We're just saying, okay, God, I need help with that. I need help with that. Hey, God, I need help with that. I need that, God. And we're not stopping to think about what we're saying. We're not stopping to think about why we're saying it. And, and I've discovered this about God. I don't know much, but I've discovered that God really wants all of our heart. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. And so he's not going to settle for just simple repeated prayers, especially ones that, that we're really, really not talking to him about or sitting with him about. So sometimes we settle by repeating. But for some of us, the biggest way I think we settle is we just stop asking. If we put it in terms of Batman and, and prayer is the bat signal, we just turn off the light to the bat signal. And if if we're Christians, if we're people who believe in Jesus and think he's the best way to live, then we don't do this purposely. We kind of just accidentally get here because I don't think we consciously say, I'm not going to pray about that. We We do start doubting. We do start wondering if... We said the right prayer, or if we said it in the right way, or if, if we're good enough, or if we're worthy, or if God is good enough, or if he's strong enough, and, and this doubt creeps in, and there's a lot of times in scripture, there's a lot of times in life where doubt is a good thing, where we can thoughtfully think um, through that doubt, where, where doubt produces a stronger faith, but in this case, we're, we're doubting in a way that is, is usually not helpful, first we doubt if we're good enough when god isn't answering our prayer we start to wonder what's wrong with me what's wrong with the way i said this and and that's what happens in i think what happens in in the story at the end of this chapter we're going to skip ahead and come back to that parable at the end of the chapter remember this this writer clustered all these stories together for a purpose. He wants us to discover something about who God is. And I think discover something about ourselves too. So, so he's not haphazard in his order. He's very thoughtful. Inspired by God, I would say. Um, and so it says in verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, he's going into Jerusalem before he's going to be crucified. As Jesus approaches Jericho... It says a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Okay, We should not be shocked by this because this would have happened all the time. If you've ever spent any time or lived in downtown Minneapolis or downtown St. Paul, this happens all the time. But I think this guy is settling. Not just for what's convenient, I think he's probably stopped asking for God to help him. Because later in the story, he'll say, I want to see again. Which tells me that at one point, he could see. And now he can't. And so, in that time, the people, especially the religious people, they would have said, well, why, wh- who sinned? What did you do wrong? Why hasn't God answered your prayer? Are you not worthy? Do you not have enough faith? Is it something your parents did? And so this guy sits on the roadside. Now, I have some friends who are, who are blind, who are, can't physically see. They're some of the most non-blind people that I know. They have incredible senses, incredible intuition. They can do many things. Who knows what kind of skills this guy had, but he must believe something about himself. I would say he might believe something about God because he sits by the road begging. How many of us, when God doesn't answer our prayers, we stop seeing what could, what God could do, we just start begging. Now, here's the good news. Jesus walks by. Now, in the story, Jesus is passing through. He's not stopping. And so he's going to walk by, and, he, and the blind man hears the crowd, and when he hears the crowd, he says, what's going on? And the people say, oh, it's Jesus of Nazarene. You know, he's passing through. And he's like, Jesus! And he shouts. He yells. The scripture says, son of David, have mercy on me. This guy is like, I'm going to muster all the effort I have, because maybe... Maybe one more prayer, one more time. Maybe you've had that experience where God hasn't answered your prayer. It's gone unheard, and you have doubted yourself or you've doubted God, and, and you, you say, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to pray one more time. God, and you're desperate. I'm desperate. This guy is desperate. Son of David, have mercy on me. What the story say? The story says the crowd from Jericho, Jericho's filled with priests. It's not too far from the city of Jerusalem, so when they're off duty, they go hang out there. Priests, we'll just call them religious people. They know a lot about God. They should be some of the most helpful people, right? Maybe you've experienced this too. For me, I'm sad to say that even though it's getting less and less, I still have moments where I'm too much like the crowd. The crowd says to the beggar, Be quiet. I wonder what it really said. Shut up. Who do you think you are? Do you think Jesus is going to stop for you? What gives you the right to interrupt this processional? Maybe that's happened. Maybe that's happened by people in church. And so you just go, okay. That was my last time. For a lot of us, for far too many of us, that's been our story. But that's not the story that Jesus tells here. It it could have been very, very logical for the blind man to go, okay, see, that just proves I'm not worthy. But that's not the story. He says, okay, I'm going to do it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, Jesus hears him. The crowd keeps moving. I imagine them bumping into each other. We don't get that level of detail in the story. But Jesus stops and tells the man, commands the man to come to him, and he runs. See, if we can push past this, this idea that we're not worthy, God wants to talk to us. He is... Desperate to be in relationship with us. And, and if you're not sure, you're just like, well, I don't relate to the blind beggar person because life hasn't been like that for me. Okay, well, look what the writer does. The very next story, chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus goes just a little farther, enters Jericho, and remember, he's passing through. So first, the blind guy, who the other writer's name is Bartimaeus, Luke doesn't. Luke wants to set up a contrast between being very poor and unknown, and the next guy who's known, Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. Do you know what that's Bible code for? Dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking, rich. Approximate translation. He is known. He is very wealthy. He has done what we do in the next line of thinking. If, if we're not going to settle for convenient, if we're not going to settle by stopping to pray, if we're not going to wonder if we're good enough, Zacchaeus does I think what we naturally do this might even be the first thing we do depending on who we are it's what Bruce Wayne did it's what made the comic Batman not Bruce Wayne we put on the cape we put on the mask we throw the outfit on and we become the masked vigilante we take our prayer into our own hands and we try to create the result we want At least I'm guilty of it. Why does Why does Batman do this? Because he doesn't trust that that the police, that the government is going to do what they said they should do. When we become the vigilante, that's what we do, right? We think, Well, I just don't trust that God's going to come through. I got to do this myself. It is the first sin in the garden to doubt that God's good. Adam and Eve, you have all of this, just that one tree. And the serpent comes and says, did God really say? And Adam and Eve doubt that God is good. Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. Just wait for me. And he takes his servant woman off his wife's request, and he tries to produce the child himself. He becomes the vigilante. When God hasn't answered our prayer, at least in the way that we want, sometimes we do this. We take it into our own hands. That's what Zacchaeus did. Chief tax collectors were despised people. And so he created a wealth for himself. He created an image for himself. He had whatever he needed, whatever he wanted. That's the way he became the vigilante. And yet, The next verse tells us he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who he was. But he could not. Now the text says because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. But the Bible is always speaking in two dimensions. Physical, spiritual. Right? Like Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. We would call that blindness, right? And what, what is the guy on the side of the road doing, the bl- beggar? He's blind. He can't see physically either. But, but the beggar can see spiritually. We'll get there in a second. And, and Bartimaeus wants to see spiritually, meaning he knows that when he puts on the vigilante outfit and he becomes the chief tax collector, that it doesn't satisfy him. How do I know that? Because he longs to see Jesus. He will go to extremes to see Jesus. So he's not fulfilled. It's not the best response for us to take matters into our own hands. Sure, it might make uh, a movie trilogy and lots of money and be a good story. It might have worked for us. But deep down, it doesn't satisfy why? Because of the premise. Because of the premise that when we take the matters into our own hands, when we become the vigilante, we are saying, I don't trust that God's going to come through for me. And see, trust is the basic foundation of a relationship. Trust is faith. Faith is trust. And, and that's what God calls out to us to say. Do you trust me? Adam, do you trust me that this garden is for your pleasure, that we'll be in relationship, just don't eat from that tree? Do you trust me that I'm good? Abram, do you trust me that I will make this happen? You, me, do we trust even when we can't see? Because when our prayers go unanswered, we can't see. We're blind, at least physically. And God's wondering if we're blind spiritually. That's what he says at the end of this parable at the beginning of Luke 18. He says, listen to what the, the story of the widow says. And, and he explains it, and he says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith That's an invitation to us. Will he find that kind of faith of someone who can see beyond what seems realistic? That's the invitation of the beggar. That's what he says. That's what Zacchaeus is saying. And that's the invitation that God has for each of us. When our prayers go unanswered, what do we do and what should we do? Well, I've given a lot of different ways that we become the vigilante. But I think the call from the scriptures is that we become vigilant. To become vigilant means to become watchful, alert, ever alert, which is a way to say we keep our eyes open. We keep our eyes open to what God might do. The widow kept coming back because, not because she was counting on her persistency. The story isn't about her persistency. The story's not even about the delay. The story is about Jesus saying, just as this judge was so evil and yet he still grants the request, then how much more is a God who's good to grant our requests, that he is sure to respond to our need, our justice? That's that's what God is after. That's what he's asking. Will you be vigilant in seeing who Jesus is. So, how do we be vigilant if our prayers are going answered? What does it look like to be vigilant? I'd say two things. And we see them in these stories. Number one, we're vigilant by remaining humble and desperate. Okay? The blind man was desperate and humble, he's shouting. When he shouldn't be shouting, he should be unseen. Just like he can't see, he should be unseen. The crowd says, be quiet. No, he calls out all the more. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and brings him to him. What do you want? Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see again. He is desperate. He is humble. He runs. Uh, Zacchaeus. The, the verses say, verse 4, uh, sorry, not verse 4, maybe verse 4, yeah. Zacchaeus, verse 4, chapter 19. Zacchaeus runs to see Jesus because he can't. Wealthy, grown men don't run in that time. He climbs a tree. Little kids climb trees. My kids love to climb trees. I still love to climb trees. But Jesus says in this same part of the Bible... Do you have a faith like a child? Because Zacchaeus has faith like a child. That's what he's looking for. That's what it means to be humble. That's what it means to be desperate. That's how we can be vigilant. God responds to both of these people who are opposite ends of the spectrum. Maybe you can't relate to a blind beggar. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't relate to the wealthiest of the wealthy. Maybe you can. But I don't don't know if you can get any more extreme than those two. This guy's pretty smart. I would say inspired by God. Because the writer wants us to fit ourselves into the story. When God doesn't answer your prayer, how do you come? Are you vigilante? Or are you vigilant? Do you keep your eyes open? Do you watch? Are you humble and desperate? God to come through. And number two, to be humble and, and, and desperate of being vigilant is, do you affirm who God is? The Jesus picture of God and the God picture of Jesus. See, he opens with this story about the widow to describe how, who God is. When he goes to the blind person, the blind man, who we don't even get his name because again, he wants to set up the contrast. The blind man says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Look at the story. It's awesome. What did the, what did the crowd say? The crowd, as, as, he's passing, as he's passing by, the blind man said, what's going on? The crowd says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. For all you Bible scholars out there, Nazareth is not where the Messiah is supposed to be born. The Savior, the Deliverer, does not come from Nazareth. So therefore, the crowd says, Jesus isn't the the Savior. The blind man can see. Jesus, Son of David, I affirm who you are. I affirm what God has said about you. Even though I don't have what I desperately want, I will affirm you. Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus so much that he climbs a tree and stands up there and it says that he can't even speak the affirmation. So Jesus speaks it for him. Text says, 19, 4 through 6, Jesus stops and looks up at Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus' desperation, Zacchaeus' humility, the fact that Zacchaeus wants to have a relationship with Jesus. And he says, I must stay at your house. We must become friends. Zacchaeus' life is transformed. He can't even speak the desperation, but he affirms who Jesus is. That gives me such hope. See, it's not about our faith, even though in this case it's a lot about our faith. It's really not about our faith. The the widow's persistence isn't about the widow's persistence. It's about the grace of the God who is our Heavenly Father, who longs to be in relationship with us, who longs to give us good things. Who really does long to answer our prayers. Might not answer them in the time we want. Might not answer them exactly in the way we want but he knows exactly what we need. No matter where we are in the spectrum, no matter how strongly we can affirm who Jesus is, like the blind man, or how weak we can affirm. He accepts them both. In fact, I would say that he accepts anyone who comes to him with vigilance. Not a vigilante. Humble and desperate. Just affirming who God is. Think about your prayers and what you do and what you think when you're praying them. Are you a vigilante or are you vigilant? Let's pause and pray. God, as we respond to you and talk to you right now. I, I pray that whether we sing or whether we pray or whether we stand or whether we sit, God, that we would be vigilant. That we wouldn't put our, our hope in our response or our faith, but God, we would put our hope in your grace, in who you are. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when people would say, you're blind to the facts, we would say, no, no, no. I can see that God is going to come through. I can see who God is. Help us, God. Meet us, God, in the midst of that prayer, no matter how desperate it is. Amen.